Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am your host today, Ian Fisher, and we've got a really wonderful show that's lined up for you, talking a little bit about students who are applying to and attending college with learning differences and disabilities. So we're going to approach this from a variety of different perspectives in the three different segments that we have covered today. We will cover a little bit from a financial aid perspective around how students with disabilities might be able to apply for and earn scholarships that they are especially eligible for. We will be speaking with a student who is a current college student who has CP and uses a service dog to get around campus and hear a little bit about her story, which I'm very excited for. But we're going to start in our first conversation with an old friend of mine, uh, Vanessa Garrido, who is a Reed College alumna, also an alumna of the Reed College Admission Office, and currently a colleague of mine out here on the West Coast at College Coach. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Ian. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you here. And I know that talking a little bit about supporting students with many different kinds of differences, whether it's learning differences or disabilities, is something that you are especially passionate about, that you are especially expert in. And so we're going to tap that expertise uh, today and talk just a little bit about how students should approach Uh, these kinds of conversations and navigate what is already a complex process uh, with an understanding of what their own particular needs are. Before we do that, before we jump into questions, and I'm I'm talking too much already, but I have to point people to our website, um, blog.getintocollege.com, where you can go to our blog and you can find this wonderful post that Vanessa has written all about students who are applying to college with disabilities some of the things that they should keep an eye out for, some of the particular modes of support that colleges can provide, different checklists. There's a lot of very interesting terminology in there. Uh, So it helps students, I think, to know what kinds of questions to ask. Um, But Vanessa, I want to start with something just like super simple. Um, For students who are out there who have any kind of a learning difference or disability what would you what would your advice be to them as they are beginning the process of applying for college? What's just the initial thing that you would want them to understand as they're beginning to navigate questions that they may have about higher education? Yeah, so just to start off, I would say to think about this as an additional layer of research that you'll be doing when you're doing your college search process and that it's going to be a really big part of the fit piece for you. So, um, you know, when we think about fit, we usually think about the academic components, the social components, financial fit, and this is sort of an additional layer that uh, can cross-sect with those things. But um, you want to reflect on your own experience and how you've been successful navigating things so far and what has benefited you in that process and try to find those same supports in the colleges that you're looking for. Um, So your research that you've done can lend itself really nicely to your research that you're going to do in this process. And I think, I think that's great advice. And when we think a little bit about disabilities, learning differences, it is such an enormous spectrum of um, 
differences that people have that need to be understood in different kinds of ways. And so can you help to understand some of the things that maybe a, might clue a student in that they need to be doing this extra level of research? I mean, I think there are some things that are more apparent to students that they're going to be having to do this, like, you know, for students who are having difficulty physically getting around campus, who are maybe in a wheelchair, they have to look at accessibility. That's a something you can see. But then there are other differences that are maybe unseen or that students might not be acknowledging. But just to give people a sense of what we're talking about here, how would you describe some examples? Yeah, and oftentimes we'll call these invisible disabilities, and uh, they can manifest in many different ways. As you said, there's you know, lots of breadth there. Um, yeah. In terms of learning disabilities, students might uh, have, you know, dyslexia or dyscalculia or things that kind of affect their academic abilities there, um, maybe ADHD or, um, you know, attention-related issues there. So, in terms of when they have been diagnosed, that also can span a huge amount of time. So for students who are more recently diagnosed, the process of researching these supports is going to be maybe concurrent because it's happening more more recently. But for those who have already found supports that have functioned well for them in high school, um, they can often connect with their support team, like the folks who have helped them with their IEP or individualized education plan. And they oftentimes have supports built into that IEP already. Um, So one thing I also always suggest at this stage especially for sophomores and juniors, just to make sure your documents are going to be updated. Um, When you're going to be applying to schools, they're going to often want to see about three years or or less for updated documents. So that's something that I always recommend having those documents updated by medical professionals as well. You mentioned IEPs and and there are 504s as well. And there are different expectations that a family may have for what a high school has to provide versus what a college may be able to provide. And I think that some of that navigation is important for families to understand. One of the things that we talked about internally when we were at our team meeting in January was that the responsibility to advocate sort of shifts from the parent in the high school context to the student in the college context, that the student needs to find out a way to be their own self-advocate. What are some recommendations that you would give to students as they're making that move from high school to college to practice advocacy for themselves, to be able to ask for that kind of support that they may need and are entitled to, frankly? Absolutely. Great question. So I think oftentimes taking ownership over the process of researching and connecting with support services, both at the high school level and in the research process for college, I think that can be a great way to start the advocacy process. Um, Just, you know, connecting with offices of disability services, which those names can vary a little bit. It might be the disability service office, but just kind of researching the different opportunities at the schools that they're excited about and leading the process, leading that charge. connecting, trying to maybe even find students at those colleges that they can chat with and get a little bit more insight if uh, they've used services at the college and they can learn about that. Um, Oftentimes that even begins with the admission office. If a student reaches out to the admission office first and inquires if they can be connected to the disability service office or if there are students who um, kind of work in both spaces, like as interns, and maybe can lend some insights about um, what has been beneficial to them at the school. There, there is often, unfortunately, I think, um, stigma that's attached with different kinds of disabilities that people may be experiencing. I think people are getting better at talking about these things and talking about what they need. But there are some students who are still 
reluctant to share, um, who may be reluctant to ask for accommodations, even if they are entitled to those accommodations. Is there any just general coaching that you would give for a student who is coming to grips with maybe a more recent diagnosis and help them to understand like, Hey, this is all right. This is part of a difference that you experience. And we got to figure out a way to make a more equitable approach to your education. Yeah. So a student's disability is part of their diversity. It's part of what they'd be bringing to the community and diversifying and, you know, empowering others who also have disabilities. So I hope they feel they can embrace that part of who they are and um, seek the services that will help them succeed. I think that it's also important to acknowledge sharing or disclosing this information in the admission process is very different from finding out information and researching support systems uh, through the disability service offices. So uh, not feeling like it has to be paired, it's really a different process. So when a student is seeking this information, looking at the ODS websites or even visiting those uh, offices on campus, it's not something that they necessarily need to disclose in the admission process. That's a separate decision that they can reflect on and decide if it's right for them. And that is a complex decision. And I think, you know, we've, we've been in admissions committees where we've had conversations like this. Um, We have been having conversations like this at college coach. And I think it's just the more info you have about a student, I think the harder it is to make a decision. And so for students who are trying to figure out what they want to provide in their application, it is a very individualized conversation that you may want to have as a family with a counselor um, with an expert to decide what do I disclose here? What do I want? What do I want the admission office to know about me? And what do I not need them to know about me because they're not specifically asking for it? So that is a conversation I hope that we'll be able to have on a future show. Uh, for now, I want to switch gears a little bit to talking about what kinds of research specifically you would recommend students do. So let's get them situated in a position where they can start to check things off a to-do list. Maybe they've got a list of items that they're looking for How would we support students in getting organized as they're researching different colleges here? Yeah. So just to begin, I want to advocate and support for students embracing the research process and just understanding that it's only going to strengthen their approach and their ability to connect with the services that they need and the people that they can find information from. So creating a to-do list is essential and it can start with the most basic types of things like, you know, essentially um, creating some kind of ranking system and deciding uh, what accommodations specifically are going to be the most beneficial for them to succeed. And when they're looking at different schools, creating a rank. So, you know, A through F or one through five, how does this specific school that I'm really excited about you know, address the needs that I'm going to be requiring to be supported and successful here. So um, that piece is really important. Also connecting with other professionals and members of their support team and just kind of clarifying where am I going to be able to get the most support in what ways. So uh, letters of recommendation. Is this something that my teachers are going to be addressing in their letters of recommendation and their mm-hmm. my counselor are they going to talk about my disability is that something that i feel comfortable with or is that something i'd rather them not talk about so it's all about communication um, as well as with medical professionals so again about getting those documents updated that's going to really just smooth out the process down the road to have everything updated relevant so um, the to-do list is really kind of connecting with others who are going to help students throughout the process And you're describing a to-do list that I think includes both what students are doing from the application side, but then also what they're doing in terms of vetting these different institutions that they're going to consider. 
And I'm curious from that research perspective, there are mixed, you know, pers- mixed ideas about, you know, what the role of a visit is for a college, uh, what the role of online research looks like for students with disabilities. Do they need to go and see the place? Do they need to connect with the potential professionals that they're going to be connecting with when they're asking for accommodations? Or can they do a bulk of their research online? What is the availability of of this information that students should expect to have access to both remotely and in person? So definitely online research is an essential place to begin because as we know, visits can be expensive, difficult to arrange depending on everyone's uh, proximity to the schools of interest and things like that too. So starting with online research is really great way to begin. And just simple things like looking up the name of the school online, followed by the term Office of Disability Services, and just looking Mm. at the website and seeing, oftentimes they'll even have a list of accommodations there. Or you can get a look at the staff. How large is it? How diverse is it? Do they have contact info where you can call them directly or do you have to email them? Um, Setting up an appointment with them maybe before a visit just to get a little bit more insight if that piece is going to be a good fit. Um, I think that that's all really important work, kind of pre-work for a visit. Um, When possible, though, a visit can be incredibly helpful as well, um, especially for students with mobility issues or just wanting to make sure that classrooms are accessible, uh, you know, that ramps are available, things like that. So when possible, a visit can add an extra layer, but the pre-work is really essential in helping decide that. Now, we've talked a little bit in the past around um, structured and unstructured kinds of programs. There are things that schools have to do by law because of the ADA in order to provide support for students with disabilities. That's kind of the minimum bar. And I think schools have different interpretations about what is necessary and how to be compliant with the ADA. So you have some schools that are better than others from an unstructured perspective, but there are also some schools out there that have more structured programs in place how can students find these if that's something that they're looking for? And what what are the questions that they can ask about a more structured program, especially for, for learning disabilities? So the structured programs are usually listed directly on the website as well. And there's also right. great guides like the KNW guide that often will have those structured programs clarified there. Right. Oftentimes structured programs they're more involved in terms of the application process. So they might even require an additional application process that can be pretty pretty in-depth. They might have additional essays, maybe an interview component. There are often fees associated with those. Um, so that's definitely worth the research because the programs can be very robust and supportive in many ways where there might be affinity groups related, peer support. It's not necessarily just that kind of a la carte pick and choose. It's really developed and robust, but there are also oftentimes fees and it can be a yeah. bigger commitment there. Yeah. I, I think like with everything that you're saying, it sounds to me like, you know, the search process for students with disabilities is is pretty similar to what it is for every student. And, and, and maybe they even benefit a little bit more from the more intensive research that they might be doing because they're asking the fit question, perhaps with a greater sense of the reality on campus, which I think not a lot of students will do in most cases. It's like, what does my life look like every day? You know, how am I going to get help when I need help in class? That's a student, that's a question every student should be asking. And I think that these students who are especially primed to ask these questions are likely to find good answers and perhaps be on the right path towards a great fit. 
are there other final recommendations? We want to send people to read your, your blog post on our website. And so I think you can just go to the blog page and search for Vanessa Garrido and you should be able to find her, all of the stuff that she's authored for us, including this one. But in addition to going and reading that as homework, any other final recommendations that you would make for students who are who are looking at schools from this particular perspective? I think just really, again, kind of embracing the communication point with your own team, the network that you've developed over time, teachers who have supported you, family members, remembering that you've become an expert at this stage. So just really kind of tapping into what you've developed uh, as you've gotten to know your own diagnoses and what helps you uh, bloom and kind of blossom, be as strong as you can. It's great to hear you say that. You've repeated that again and again. It reminds me of something that we talked about when we were in the admission office at Reed was that the greatest predictor for success for students on our campus was the number of contact points that they had with adults throughout their college experience and especially a willingness to ask for help. It had nothing to do with how smart they were before they came in. It was about what they did when they inevitably met with some difficulty And um, you are repeating that loudly for all students. And I want to make sure that we underline that because making use of your network and finding people who can support you and and tapping them, I think, is really, really key, uh, especially for students with disabilities, but, but frankly, for all students as well. Agreed, 100%. Awesome. Well, I think it's easy for us to agree, um, but but that doesn't mean that it's not great advice. Um, <laughs> Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on uh, the show today. How is like out in Walla Walla, is spring like starting to show up? Like, are you seeing the crocuses pop? Like, are we getting there? We're getting there. We're, the snow we're has melted. There. So we're the moving in the, in the right direction. Yes. It is a start. We're directionally headed towards spring. We're starting to feel it a little bit here. We got a sunny day. We've got like a, out in Portland, we've got like a, maybe we might hit the sixties this weekend. I thought I saw some sun coming through the window. Yeah. A little bit of sun's coming. You know what it's like when we get those sunny (laughs) days out here. Like people just go absolutely wild. And like, you know, Portlandia is a little bit of an exaggeration, but there's one sketch about like the sun moving and people just like (laughs) following it everywhere. That one is pretty accurate. So folks want to check that out. Um, You know, Vanessa, we have to bond a little bit over Portland, of course. course. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. That was great. Um, When we come back, we will be uh, speaking with a a student uh, currently about what her time has been like in college. And so we are excited to share. Don't go away. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. 
To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We just had a really great discussion in the first segment with my colleague, Vanessa, around students with disabilities and how they can research the college application process and find a best fit college as they consider what their right higher education path is going to be. And now we have a, I said student in the former segment, but actually a recent graduate of Brandeis University joining us, uh, Sasha Manis. Hi, Sasha. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to have you and really excited to talk a little bit about your story. And I would love to start if you could put yourself way back in the shoes of your high school self when you were applying to college. Uh, Just a little bit about what were primary considerations for you as someone with CP uh, when you were looking for the right fit college for you? So this is going to sound a little off the wall here, but my high school and my primary school before that, neither of them were ADA accommodated. Um, Neither were ADA compliant. My high school didn't have an elevator. My primary school had an elevator, didn't let me use it. Um, So I threw my backpack in it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I went into college expecting hostility just because that is what I experienced prior. I was the first student with a disability at my high school, the first one in my primary school, which is horrific considering when the ADA was passed. But I was more looking for programs that fit my intellectual style. Um, At the time, I was a playwright. I had my off-Broadway premiere when I was 16 years old. It was a show at the Lucy Lortel called Shooting the Sparrow, and it was done through Young Playwrights, Inc., Um, unfortunately this organization no longer exists, but it's a wonderful organization. Um, and I chose to go somewhere I knew where culturally and socially I would be relatively safe in comparison Mm -hmm. to a lot of other places. I didn't consider accommodations, um, because I knew no matter where I went, students with disabilities were not expected to be there. That was the message I got everywhere. That was the message I got from my schools. So I knew it was going to be a challenge no matter where I went. Now, when you got to Brandeis and you started your education there, what did you begin to do with respect to accommodations? How did you start to ask questions about what you were entitled to because of the ADA and because of supports that Brandeis was intent would needed to offer you? Okay. Um, I lived in ex- quote unquote accessible housing that was blocked by a dumpster and the wheelchair accessible door didn't actually work. Okay. Um, so Bad I was start. very lucky. Yeah, um, I was very lucky that my school, being a Jewish high school, focused a lot on law and law interpretation. So before I went to Brandeis, I studied the ADA. So Mm -hmm. I learned what I was entitled to. And because I was an early decision student, I had emailed them six months before I arrived saying, hi, my name is Sasha Manis. I'm a student with grade two spastic diplegic cerebral palsy. I have fine and gross motor impairments. And I have these accommodations from my high school. Mm -hmm. When I actually got there and I started pointing out some of the issues I was having, like someone in the science department saying that I shouldn't be there because of my disability. And there's a wonderful woman in her place. Her name is Kara Street. And she has really, she knows the ADA. She knows what's required. And it's totally transformed access to campus for students with disabilities now. 
But I would say my first two years at Brandeis, I debated leaving every single year because I couldn't complete my core major requirements on campus. Um, I received horrific hostility um, from professors specifically about my accommodations. Um, I have a guide dog because I have a cortical visual impairment, otherwise known as a CVI, which about 90% of people with cerebral palsy have, Mm -hmm. um, which basically means that my visual processing is impaired, but my acuity is perfect. So that can be very confusing for someone trying to provide accommodations. Yeah. Because I don't need the typical accommodations of a blind student, but I still need some of them. And that can be very hard to justify to a professor who doesn't fully understand the neurologic impact of something like hypoxic brain injury, or in my case, preventricular leukemia. Um, when you're in these situations where there's a lot of complexity to these different kind of conditions, they're obviously very impactful conditions that you uh, have to wrestle with every single day. To what extent are you explaining this over and over again to people around you so that they can understand versus kind of saying, all right, I can, I can cope and, you know, go to class and do what I need to do. You seem to be very determined in many respects, but I'm just curious about how much you have these conversations with folks uh, in terms of. I ended up having these conversations on a nearly daily basis. In my junior year, I ended up serving on the student union as a director of advocacy and accessibility for about six months. um, I withdrew from that position in part because I went on medical leave, but in part because I realized a lot of it was legal issues that I did not have the training to deal with because Mm -hmm. I'm not a lawyer. I may know the ADA like the back of my hand, but that doesn't mean I can interpret it. Um, And so I, I had these conversations daily. I spoke to professors and I've had a wonderful professors the ones that stick out of course are the most negative experiences because that's how yes, trauma works um yeah. but i can think of my advisor dr woodruff dr piasta these are all people in the biology department dr myra i would sit down with them and i would talk to them about my disability and about what the purpose of accommodations were i remember being a freshman and having a conversation with dr piasta who ran something called the galaxy project which is to support students from underrepresented backgrounds in science and mm-hmm. students with disabilities are very underrepresented in science. We make about 6% of the graduate student population. Um, and the number of students with physical disabilities, there's not even data on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, so, I, so, so there are, and what I, what I love is that there are these examples of people who are connecting with you, who are advocates for you, who are there to support you. Of course, unfortunately, there are going to be those that stick out in many respects. I'm curious about advice that you would give for students as they are considering the college that they may go to. You said that accommodations were not front of mind for you intellectually was, you know, that's what you were looking for. That was your primary and driving factor when you were considering school. I think safety obviously was a very important one as well, right? Um, But what kind of advice would you give for students as they are considering the community that they're going to be a part of? Uh, How can they predict if it's even possible, what life will be like on campus when they get there. So something I, I, I attended UC Berkeley for a year um, when I was on medical leave and UC Berkeley is one of the most accessible campuses in the country. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to predict the culture of accessibility on a campus. Both campuses were entirely inaccessible, but Brent, uh, but Berkeley has a very positive attitude and history towards disability accommodation. And Brandis is a very negative one. And this is now starting to change. But I'm the first student with a physical disability to graduate with a biology degree 
from my department. Ever? Ever. First one. Um, they wanted me to speak at commencement. Mm-hmm. So that weighs very heavily on me. Um, but what I would say is if you're a student trying to predict where you're going to end up is what field you want to go into. I didn't know I wanted to go into STEM when I first got to college. Um, I was a playwright. Classic I, story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I ended, I was, I fell in love with diseases as a little kid. My area of interest research wise has always been really since the age of 12 genetic neurodegenerative pediatric onset diseases like Tay-Sachs mm-hmm. and Filippo syndrome. And I took a genetics course and I fell in love um, and quickly <laughs> changed from being humanities to being STEM, not realizing what I would face. Um, yeah. And I would say humanities tends to be more accommodating. So if you're planning on going into the arts or into the languages, you will have less issues than if you're going into the sciences. Um, and that's simply because of the ped- the way, that's simply because of pedagogy. Um, right. The, the lab expectations, the physical requirements within the lab, you know, how they're kind of situated makes it more difficult yes. for someone with a physical disability to get around and do that kind of work. Whereas exactly. for humanities, I was a humanities major. I just, we just sit around a table and talk about what our ideas are that, you know, you just have to get into the room essentially. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And once you get into the room, you're fine. Um, one of my experiences, I was a Judaic studies minor. My minor GPA was a 3.89. Um, my overall GPA was a 3.4, Um, So that should really tell you the scale of the challenges that I had. Um, yeah. I've broken out my GPA, removing the labs. I would have a 3.7 and my STEM, my STEM GPA is a 3.1. Um, and that's because of being unable to have meaningful participation in the labs. And frankly, it got to the point where I just didn't, I would show up, but I would be completely apathetic because I couldn't participate. Right. Um, so if you're interested in the humanities, um, first of all, Brandeis is incredible. Um, they've got the humanities is phenomenal there. Um, yeah. And that was one of the reasons I went. But what I have found um, is that the humanities tends to be more progressive in their mindset mm. about accessibility because it doesn't, they don't see as accessibility as impinging on their pedagogy as much as in STEM, which is still very much fine motor focused. Yeah. Um, if you are a student with a disability who wants to go and in, go into STEM, I have two recommendations. One, go to a public university. They are more likely to be up to ADA standards, even though they will not be completely up to ADA compliance. Um, or two, expect to take another year and do all your labs off campus. Hmm. Um, and that's simply because colleges are not private colleges never expected to admit disabled students especially not elite colleges um one of the jobs i had at brandeis i was hired to look for any buildings that were ada compliant on campus and i found none no building was fully compliant in any department um and some of these buildings are from 2014 so that's clearly an architectural fault i don't necessarily think that's the university's fault yeah um but it a lot of elite colleges think the ADA is a joke because they never expect to have a student body with disabilities. I don't know if that answers your question, um, I, but it's just, it's being careful. I don't know either, but I, I think that, I think that there's a lot of helpful storytelling that's involved here. And I think, you know, the, 
particular needs that you have are different from someone else's particular needs. And I think that's one of the challenges, right? Is like how you identify what you're going to need. Um, ADA compliance seems to be like a minimum barrier that one would would jump over. And I actually remember about a couple of years ago, we were, I was at a program for Reed where I where I went to school. And the uh, dean of the faculty, who's also a physics professor, was walking us through a mental exercise. There was a group of people in a room and she said, I want you to imagine that you're walking into Volum Lecture Hall, which is the biggest lecture hall on campus. And you walk in and you're going to go find a seat and you want to be in a position to take good notes so you can see the front of the room. Imagine yourself doing that. So we did. And then she said, now I want you to imagine you're in a wheelchair. How are you going to get into your seat? How do you arrive at the front of the building? What path do you have to navigate to get there? Uh, what, what, where do you have to wait for somebody to open a door for you? Is there a button that you can push to open the door? All of these things, I think that like something as simple as like, I got to get into the lecture hall, which by the way, all freshmen have to do three times a week is for the majority of the student population, very easy. And I think that what you are pointing to is something that's an everyday part of your life. I have to figure out how to get to these labs. I have to figure out how to do these labs. I need the accommodations to do that. And is not necessarily front of mind for people who don't have that same everyday consistent occurrence that you have. I want to know from you, because you've graduated, you graduated with a science degree, the first one in your department ever with a physical disability. You persisted despite the fact that, I mean, a 3.1 is still a good GPA, especially at Brandeis. Let's just say that first of all, but like, it's not your greatest strength relative to your minor strength um, or the minor that you did. What drives you? What, like, what pushed you? What's what, where is this source of motivation? Because you seem very driven. You seem very motivated. Where does that come from? It's really internal passion. I am fascinated with disease. And again, if I were to break my bio, my biology grades out from just from my lab grades, I'd have a 3.7, which is very impressive for STEM. Um, the reason my GPA is so low is because of organic chemistry which whole other story. Um, the reasonable accommodation would have been me not taking that class because I am stereo blind. Um, so I couldn't access the material. But I think what drives me is passion and a real hunger for knowledge and a real hunger to grasp onto information and to challenge it. And something very unique about Brandeis is that in most classes, you're not expected to sit silently and just listen in the lecture hall you're allowed to get up there and challenge your professors. And that's such a profound experience that you're treated like a colleague, really, yeah. even when you're still an undergraduate. And that it's just that drive to keep challenging and keep learning. And that's why I stayed at Brandeis. Um, it, it's really that internal fire, that love of disease, that love of knowledge. That's what got me through it. It's, it's interesting to hear you because I think at the start of the interview is sort of like, here are all the things that kind of went wrong for me in my college experience at the beginning. And then somewhere in the middle, you were like, I love Brandeis. It's a great place. You said I fell in love with genetics, which is by the way, like a very weird, and pe most people don't say that, like, it's a very uncommon kind of thing, <laughs> but like, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. I love to nerd out too, but it, it shows these complex feelings. I think that people can have about their college experience and the complexity for you, I think is rooted in actual literal obstacles to your ability to learn. But I think it's also important for every student to be aware of the fact that you will have complex feelings about where you go to school. There will be professors you love and professors that drive you up the wall. 
you will have classes that are wonderful and rewarding and stimulating and classes that you find to be unstimulating. And I think part of coming to grips with a college experience is understanding that it's not always perfect and finding the kind of motivation that you found with, I love this particular thing. I cannot imagine not thinking about diseases. It is so fascinating for me. That's challenging for students to identify, but that's really what we're looking for uh, in that experience. What is next for you? You've just finished in December, first one ever from your department. What is next? What What have you got your eyes set on? I plan on pursuing a PhD in computational biology and computational genomics. So easy using stuff, co- really. <laughs> <laughs> using computer modeling to predict um, genetic, uh, predict pathogenicity of genetic variants, which is how the genetic changes in our code affect how diseases affect the human body. There's specifically my area of interest is the pediatric leukodystrophies, like Alexander's disease um, and Alcardi Gutierrez syndrome. And there are some individuals with these diseases who have the classic fast neurodegenerative decline and die in childhood. There are other individuals that have the same pathogenic mutation and have incredibly mild symptoms. Hmm. And we can't explain why, because it's an incredibly small part of that patient population. Hmm. Um, But if we were to, but if what I want to do is to look at their entire genetic code and see what is the modulating factor, what is the mechanism that is going on that allows this horrific disease to present so mildly and then how can we replicate that pharmacologically um, hmm. in order to more effectively treat these diseases? Most diseases won't have cures. And I know that's heartbreaking to say. Um, no one's ever going to cure cancer, but we can treat it. It's about giving people quality of life. And I think a part of my desire to do that comes from really suffering horribly during my childhood. I had really poor medical care growing up. I developed gastroparesis at 12. Um, I was undiagnosed until I was 19 when I came to Boston Children's through Brandeis. Um, I was 80 pounds when I got to college, Mm. um, eating less than 300 calories a day because my stomach was paralyzed. And people just thought that I was either looking for attention or people thought I was bulimic or anorexic or that I was just anxious. Um, Someone accused me of having somatoform disorder. I don't have any of these things, Um, but to be constantly starving as a young person, that affects you. Um, That's probably where my love of disease comes from is being undiagnosed for so long. Yeah. Um, But now being healthy and being well, my first couple years of college, I wasn't, I broke my neck my sophomore year in 2019 and I didn't go on medical leave because I didn't have medical care back home that would deal with it appropriately. Um, talk about layers on top of layers. There's layers on top of layers. Yeah. And, um, unfortunately we are out of time, but, um, I, this it's incredible stuff. And I think, you know, March is a cerebral palsy awareness month. Uh, two days after this airs is a national CP day. And so hopefully at least this conversation for those who are listening, you can be aware of the different afflictions that those with CP have to manage every single day. And Sasha, I know you've been pushing a lot within your community for more awareness of ADA and how to support students with disabilities. And hopefully this session amplifies that conversation for you. So thank you very much for coming on the show today and telling that story. Thank you so much. I hope this was helpful. I, I think it was great. It was wonderful to talk to you. And it's always great to talk to somebody who is 
really passionate about what they want to study. So um, good luck to you. I hope we see your name in some very important published papers uh, sometime in the future. Thank you. Um, if I could say any one last thing to people looking at colleges, it's sure. going to be difficult, but it's worth it. Just getting that desire to study what you love and to feel that euphoria and that excitement and that drive to get up every morning and to be in a community that supports what you love, even with all the ADA issues and the systemic discrimination, it will give you a motivation to live and to thrive, even when everything else is shutting you down. So it's worth it. It's going to be hard, but it's completely worth it. All right. That's a great note to end on. Thanks a lot, Sasha. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Folks, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some scholarships and financial aid that might be available for students with disabilities. So stick around. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, folks, welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We are continuing our our discussion around students with uh, physical and learning disabilities with a discussion about the college finance aspect of that equation. And joining me to talk a little bit about some potential scholarships and opportunities for students who have disabilities is my colleague on the finance side, Jennifer Wilcox. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me today. Glad to have you. Talking about this. Yeah, I think it's really important stuff, and I I think it's a great reminder that there are many scholarships that are out there for students, um, a variety of different scholarships that are available. And we're talking about some very specific ones here for today. So uh, what I want to ask, we'll start with like a big question, which is what are some of the financial aid uh, resources that students with physical and learning disabilities may want to look into? Yeah, great question. So when we are talking to and coaching these families, there's kind of three categories outside of the normal state and um, government-based financial aid that I like these families to focus on. One is really going to be those scholarships that you're talking about. Those are going to be looked at at a institutional college level and then more broadly at um, an outside level, and we can kind of talk more about that in a minute. Um, And then another resource that I think um, a lot of families that I talk to don't know about is something called Vocational Rehabilitation Services. That's a federal program that is run at a state level, 
And then another um, good option would be some looking into a possibility of saving into an account um, that would be called an ABLE account. So kind of as we go through the topics today, we'd love to touch on each of these a little more because they are all a little different and um, have all kind of some different nuances to them. Yeah, the the ABLE account sounds familiar to me, and it might be because it's something that I get asked when I do my taxes about whether I have any funds in an ABLE account. Um, And so I want to start there. I just want to ask that question. Can you define what that is for our listeners so we can understand a little bit better what that program is? ABLE account was established, I think, in around 2014. Um, It was really first established to help folks who were going to be applying for Medicaid to shelter some of their savings so it wasn't counted in the Medicaid um, application. And really what it stands Mm -hmm. for is achieving a better life experience. It's a tax-advantage savings account, very similar. I know we hear 529s often. It's very similar setup like that where it allows families, if they qualify, to put funds into this savings um, account and then have those earn earnings um, be able to be withdrawn tax-free for lots of different reasons that fall into kind of the disability realm that would be things like college that we're here kind of talking about today. But unlike a 529, it also allows for medical, housing, transportation, um, and other things. Um, there is a great resource. I always like to say when I'm on calls talking to families, I am for sure not a broker or um, definitely not an expert in this in any uh, way, shape, or form. So I always like to refer families to a website that might be helpful, and it's ablenrc.org. So it's A-B-L-E-N, like Nancy, org. It's a great resource. The IRS website also is a great resource. Um, and then Every state has an ABLE account set up, I think, except about four. Um, so checking kind of with your state agencies to see what is there is going to be good for families who might be looking into this. So it sounds like a 529 and an ABLE are fairly similar in terms of the contributions and the earnings, but that an ABLE account can be used for a wider range of potential expenses, including those that are that are medical, that support students with disabilities. Right. Yep. Great. Yep. Great. So a lot of nope. families might not know if their student is going in to college or not. So an able would allow you to kind of diversify a bit. Yeah. No, that's that sounds like a really great option for families that are considering those different possibilities. You also mentioned the vocational rehabilitation. Uh, can you tell a little bit more about what that looks like? That's something I'm completely unfamiliar with. Yeah, great. So vocational rehabilitation are often referred to as voc rehab. Um, was established, I think, early 1900s for um, veterans coming back from war, disabled veterans. And then in 1920, it kind of got opened up into uh, folks with disabilities. And what their real goal is, is to prepare um, students, young adults, individuals um, for entering employment. They want to prepare them for it um, to help them obtain and retain employment. When it comes to kind of the folks that may be listening to this podcast and when we are counseling our families, what I like to tell folks is that think of both rehab as kind of a transition between college and or high school and or trade school and college, kind of using it like a bridge 
students are often getting a lot of resources in high school, and then once you get into lifehood or adulthood, oftentimes it's frightening that you're thinking, I'm sending my student out into the world, and they're losing all of these wonderful resources. So Vogue Rehab would be something um, that they may qualify for. Um, If a student is on SSI or SSDI, that enables them to qualify for Vogue Rehab. However, if they're not, that doesn't mean you don't qualify. It just means that you maybe have to reach out to your local state um, voc rehab office to see about being assessed and possibly qualify. And some of the things that they can help with would be possible job coaching, um, career assessment, transportation costs. They can help with job placement um, and then some possible funding to help pay for college and or trade or technical schools, that kind of post-high school training, um, books, supplies. You can apply for lots, it as so early of, lots as... Lots of potential as, expenses oh, are tagged here, right? Oh, oh, sorry. What was it? No, no. I said, it just sounds like there's a lot of potential utilization of this kind yes, of program. Yes, definitely. Across a wide range of space. Um, I wanted to ask you just, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to ask a quick question about um, scholarships, because I think that this is one of those spaces where it feels like the world is your oyster. As a student, there are so many potential scholarships that students can apply for. We've talked with colleagues in the past about scholarships.com and other other databases where you can go and look. What should students with disabilities be thinking about when they're looking for, for those scholarships that might make a higher education a little more affordable for them? Yeah, I think searching within the college themselves is going to be great. A couple of colleges that have um, some well-displayed disability resource and scholarship kind of outlined on their website that I would encourage you to check out so that way they kind of know what they're looking for would be the University of Florida, their Disabilities Mm -hmm. Resource Center. And University of Wisconsin also has the McBurney Disability Resource Center. Those are kind of good from education Um, college level, and then on the outside scholarship level, either doing a scholarship search through a search engine that would be something like you said, scholarships.com, or going Mary, putting the specifics about yourself into that, Um, and then possibly even doing something as general as an internet search. I think back to a few years ago, I helped a family who she told me her son had hearing disabilities. And once we more got into it, he actually had cochlear implants while he was in high school and was adjusting to that. So we were able to find a scholarship for him. They applied and it returned a $2,000 investment. So I think wow. anything you can do in searching and trying to kind of find those specifics to your disability and needs is going to be good. And then checking with, um, the disability centers at the colleges and seeing what um, resources are out there. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of, you know, in our last segment, we talked with uh, Sasha who just graduated from Brandeis and how big of an advocate that she is for those who have disabilities. And it's a great reminder that people who are out there with funding, they want to support students to make that path a little bit easier for them. So keep an eye out for those. You never know what you might qualify for. Um, are there any other tips, you know, big, broad tips that you might offer for families as they're looking at financial aid, especially for students with disabilities? Yeah, I think one big one is that um, a lot of 
disabilities come with a lot of extra expenses that colleges, uh, when they're evaluating your ability to pay for college, might not look at. So when your family is applying to college, be sure to reach out to the college financial aid office and sharing some of those things because depending on what your family's ability to pay for with college um, is looking like, you may qualify for additional assistance or the financial aid office might be able to shed some light in helping you to uncover um, some different resources. This is a common refrain that I hear from all of my colleagues on the finance side is talk to your financial aid offices. Let them know what is going on for your family and what kind of support that you need because they're real people on the other side of the phone, just like Jennifer here, and they can talk you through. We're your friend, uh, not your enemy. (laughs) That's exactly right. And that's a great reminder. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that we got squeezed a little bit because of some of our earlier segments, but I always appreciate the great advice of our finance colleagues. Thank you, Ian. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, folks, that does it for our show for today. Next week, we are going to start talking about summer because it's spring. And that means, of course, we got to talk about what's coming up in the summer. We'll talk a little bit about summer plans from an admissions perspective. We'll also describe how you can start to create your own project as a high school student, I think, which is a really common question that students are asking us these days. And then summer jobs and saving that money, right? We've always got to put a little bit of that financial aid spin on things as well. So, Have a wonderful start to your spring. I hope your bracket is still intact if you made your picks uh, this weekend. And we will look forward to seeing you all here again next week. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.